Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. Okay, take your Bible and turn with me back to Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13. Get the right set of notes. I know I've got to sit in here somewhere. We had began a new section last Sunday that I entitled The Unchangeable Christ. That was part one last week. Today we want to talk about uh, The Unchangeable Christ, part two. Now in this verse that we're going to look at, actually these verses, verse seven and eight, <clears throat> verse seven that we looked at verse last week versus verse eight that we're going to look at today. In these, these verses, the, the writer of Hebrews, which I think is the Apostle Paul, he continues here to set forth the duties, and I know a lot of people don't like that word duty, but we do have duties. We, listen, it's our responsibility to love God with all our heart, all our mind, all our soul, all our strength. That's the first and great commandment. And the second's like it to it, likened to it, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. That's our responsibility. The Apostle Paul was quite clear. He said, as you have received the Lord Jesus Christ, so walk ye in him. We are to, to, to live by faith. We are to walk by faith. And by God's grace, we are to die in this same faith, this same hope that Christ's blood, his righteousness alone, is our only ground hope and cause of salvation, while at the same time, by his Holy Spirit, we diligently seek to obey him in every single solitary area of our lives. I, it troubles me that, that so many people seem to believe that those who believe in the free grace of God, the eternal security of the saints, the eternal blessedness of all those whom God the Father chose, whom Christ the Son redeemed, whom God the Holy Spirit regenerates and converts under the preaching of the gospel, that somehow or another we are unconcerned about the way we live. Nothing could be further from the truth. But here's the sad, tra tragic truth that the child of God knows and recognizes in and of themselves. We know that in every area of our lives, we have never and we will never reach a level of obedience that truly satisfies God's law in His justice, in which He can delight. Now, He, he delights in our obedience, but He delights in it only as it's offered to Him through how? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. God rejoices, in, like we talked about last Sunday in the, in the message last Sunday, God rests not in what we do. What does He do? He rests in His love. What's His love? Herein's love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son the propitiation for our sins. Now listen, that one statement, the propitiation for our sins, qualifies us as what we ever and always are. What are we? We're sinners. That doesn't make it right, and it doesn't justify it, and that's not trying to make light of it. But all you got to do is read 1 John chapter 1. If we, say, listen, if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar. And God's truth's not in us. I mean, he, he, he makes this truth clear. I mean, I, this is just, this is how we have to live. He says, if we say that we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie not. And do not the truth. 
Now, in false religion, what did they tell you about that verse? When they made this statement, if we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, but by fellowship with him, what do they say? That's as if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You made a profession of religion, you walked an aisle, you shook a preacher's hand, you got dunked in a baptismal pool, and now you're going to church. That's what they consider fellowship. But he, he's already told us what fellowship is. He says, Here, here's what fellowship, for the life was manifested and we have seen it and bear witness and show unto you that eternal life which was, was with the Father. Where's, where's eternal life? It was with the Father and was manifested unto us. What was manifested unto them? Same thing manifested unto you and me. What? Christ in us, the hope of glory. That which we've seen and heard declare we unto you that you also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. So they, they talk about fellowship like something that we do. Fellowship is something that we enjoy by virtue of who and what we've been made where? In our Lord Jesus Christ. But they would, they would talk about that. We fellowship with Him and walk in darkness. What was the walk in darkness? It's... Whatever sin you can come up with. Whatever men qualify as sinful disobedience. And I don't question that at all. We should, we should not walk in what this religious world even calls darkness, right? But you've got to divide, define terms by the way they're defined and qualified in the Scripture. Listen to this. Okay, I mean, if you're going to understand this, if we walk in darkness, well, what is it to walk in darkness? Listen to this. Our Lord Jesus Christ was standing with a man named Nicodemus and he just told Nicodemus two times, you must be born again. First of all, you've got to be born again to see the kingdom of God. And second of all, he told him you've got to be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. But then he turned to this man and he said this, this is the condemnation, that light, that's righteousness, Christ, the light of the world. Light is coming to the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Listen, nobody ever, nobody ever told me this until somebody came to me and had, I, the Lord had taught me the true gospel and somebody was honest with the scriptures. Context, context, context. Who's here? Who's he talking to? Who's he just told you must be born again? Who? A prostitute? A murderer? A liar? A thief? A reprobate in the things of God? Somebody that has no concern about religion at all? Who's he talking to? Nicodemus, a Pharisee, who was doing his dead-level best to avoid every sin, keeping the law, and doing his dead-level best to obey God in every area of his life. That's the darkness he's talking about. Not just darkness that me. Because listen, even the, even the drunk and the liar and the murderer, if they've got any conscience at all, they know that's wrong. Everybody knows that. Nicodemus didn't know that what he was doing by way of religious efforts, that it was evil and vile and condemnable. And he said not only that, 
men love darkness rather than light because their deeds. And this, again, this is directed. There's nobody else here. Nicodemus is here. Their deeds are evil. Nicodemus could look around and say, well, he's talking about them. He knew who this was directed toward. For he says that everyone that does evil, what do they do? They hate what? They hate Christ. Neither they won't come to Christ. Remember what our Lord said? Search the scriptures for in them you think you have life and you will not come to me that you might have life. Where's eternal life? It's in Christ. For everyone that doeth evil hates the light, neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds be reproved. In other words, shown that their deeds are seeking to subvert the person and work of the light of God. But he that doeth truth, what do they do? They come to the light. That their deeds may be made manifest, may be revealed. That Where did they come from? This is proof positive. Verse 21 is proof positive of Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, 9, 10. For he, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that what are we going to do? We're going to walk in them. So he is telling these people in our, this ver, these two verses, he's setting forth those duties which concern every justified saint's and I, I'm very careful about the way I use this word. I, I started to use perseverance. But I don't, I don't really think it's perseverance. It's preservation is what it is. It, it's not by my will nor by my might. God has to. Listen, I'm going to be preserved. God's got to do it. Because I can't. But he's talking about every justified sinner's preservation in the faith of the gospel. Where's our hope? What's important to us? Huh? What's the most valuable thing? I can say this because the TV's off. My little granddaughter won't know it. And I can say it. We were getting ready for church this morning. And she looked at us and she said, I don't want to go to church. And I told her, you've got no choice in the matter. She's staying with us this weekend. That's, I think that's another reason my back's hurting because she wore me and Pam out this weekend. But, yeah, that's her, that's her mindset. I don't want to go to church. And I said, well, you got to go. And she said, we, we, Pam told her, she said, we need to go there to learn, learn about, the, about Christ, about the gospel. About, no concept. No desire. <laughs> I love her to death, but you know what she is? She's not innocent. Now, she's not. I know a lot of people like to talk about them like they're not innocent. They're, listen, they go forth from the womb speaking lies. The carnal mind, Paul tells us, what is it? It's enmity. It's bitter hatred against God. It's not subject to the law of God. And listen to this. It cannot be. Neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh, in other words, those that are in a state of, of alienation, separation, of unregeneracy, they cannot please God. But, thank God he went on, but you are not in the flesh. I'm living in a fleshly body, but I'm not in a state of unregeneracy. You're not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man, any person has not the spirit of God, 
So he's encouraging them to, to preservation in the faith of the gospel. He's talking to them about their abiding or continuing in the doctrine of Christ against all opposition, both that comes from outside, but here's, here's our greatest enemy, from within. From within ourselves. Warning them in a manner of verse 9. Be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines. These words literally translated, be not carried away with diverse and strange doctrines, is with teachings manifold and strange, be not carried about. I wrote it in the sidebar on my notes this morning. I looked up that, that phrase. Be carried about. It means to convey around or to transport hither and thither. And it's kind of like a reference. You, you, you ought to recognize it like this. When somebody that we know and love dies, we put them where? We put them in a coffin. And since they can't go anymore, what do we do? We usually have pallbearers, and what do they do? They convey them about. They got no choice in the matter. They're gathered here, hither, wherever, wherever the, the pallbearers want to carry them, that's where they're carried. And he's saying, don't be that way. Don't be carried hither and thither by strange doctors. See, the, the focus, the whole argument here centers around what? What are we to be carried about by? What are we to be conveyed and carried hither and thither by? This, the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he describes it this way. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. See, when we talk about Jesus Christ and salvation condition on him, his blood and his righteousness alone, we're not talking about uncertainties. You realize that, don't you? We're, we're not talking about strange doctrines that are inconsistent with the gospel of God's grace, things that produce uncertainty and things that produce doubt in the children of God. I've, I had false preachers in the past told me that, that the best thing for us is to doubt. Because if we ever get any assurance, we become lackadaisical. Well, is that true? Is that what the scriptures teach? Does, what, what is doubt? Huh? What is doubt? It's unbelief. I, of a truth, let God be true and every man liar. If God says this is the record that he's given us eternal life and this life is in the Son, who are you going to believe? See, what we're talking about here are truths that establish our hearts with grace and cause us to continue in the faith of God's elect. John wrote it best. He said, This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and his life is in the Son. He that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Listen to it. These things have I written unto you that you may know, may be confident, that you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe on the name of the only begotten Son of God. 
In the verses we looked at last week, the writer appealed to the testimony of those that had taught them in the past. In this verse that we're going to look at today, he appeals to the hope of the past, the hope of the present, and the hope of the future. Look at verse 8. This is our text for this morning, just one, one verse. Jesus Christ, Jehovah is salvation, the Messiah, the same yesterday, today, and forever. This truth, <clears throat> look back up at verse 7. It's related to verse 7. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their life. The end of their faith. Because it expresses the view of life and the hope of salvation for those who had formerly been their guides and teachers. Think about it this way. Christ is to us today in 2023 exactly what he was to those just men and women made perfect who now reside in heaven with our blessed Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ in both his person and his work, is all to his church in every single solitary age. Paul wrote to those at Corinth, and he says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus, who of God is made unto us, first of all, what has he made unto us? Wisdom. Was he not Abraham's wisdom? Was he not Abel's wisdom? We know he was because Abel, according to Hebrews chapter 11, what was Abel? Abel was a just man who lived by faith, resting in a righteousness he had no part produced. He believed God's record, God's promise. He's made unto us not only wisdom, but he's made unto us and them righteousness, sanctification, and People get confused, made into us redemption. And that word redemption here is not talking about our redemption from sin. It's talking about the redemption of our body. The glorification of this, where this V-I-L-E body will be made like unto his glorious body. This is what the Apostle John said concerning the Lord Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation. He says, I am Alpha, I am Omega. The beginning... And the ending saith the Lord, which is, doesn't it sound like Jesus Christ is saying yesterday and forever, which is, which was, and which is to come. Be almighty. That's Revelation 1 verse 8. That's at the beginning of the revelation. At the end of the revelation, he states it again. I am Alpha and I am Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, and I know you've heard this 10,000 times throughout your religious life. I heard it even in false religion. That, that, that word alpha is the first alphabet of the Greek language. And the word omega is the last alphabet in the Greek language. So what does this mean to you and me? It means that Christ alone, his person, his work, his obedience unto death, his accomplishment as our Redeemer and Savior is the beginning and it's the ending. 
of the salvation of all those God the Father chose, all those Christ the Son redeemed and justified by his obedience unto death, and all those that God the Holy Spirit regenerates and converts in time under the preaching of God's gospel. If you'll think back, just a couple of chapters before, actually just one chapter before in verse 12, the writer of Hebrews declared this, looking unto Jesus, the author and the com completer, the finisher, of, not of our faith. That ours in italic, he's the author and finisher of faith. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down. Sit down at the right hand of the throne of God. Folks, when our Lord Jesus Christ cried, it's finished, he declared that there is absolutely nothing to be added to his accomplished work of redemption. Paul used the same word, for Christ is the end. Same word, it is finished. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. See, that's why Christ sat down. You know, in the, under the old covenant, if you'll remember, call back as we studied through all these things, under that old covenant, there were no chairs anywhere in the tabernacle or the temple. The priest was constantly moving because there was always another sacrifice to be offered. There was always the candelabra. The oil had to be renewed and refreshed. The showbread had to be interchanged. The incense had to be kept burning all the time. And when they died, what another took their place. And on throughout time until he who was the fulfillment of all that that typified came and did the work that those things could never do. And what happened to all of that? It was done away by way of perfect fulfillment. So our Lord Jesus Christ, as the great high priest, what does he do? Got nothing else to do. He had accomplished it. He sat down. Keep in mind his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work that thou gavest me to do. Now you think about this. Jesus Christ is now and always has been the same to protect and relieve and deliver us as well as all those who are in heaven now. But here's the thing. By these words, the writer attributes to our Lord Jesus Christ Eternality and immutability. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. I was born Jan March the 13th, 1958. And unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back at some point in time, I hope it's out many years from now, there's going to be a termination point for my humanity. I'm going to die. But our Lord Jesus Christ, unlike you and me, even though he was flesh of our flesh and fl bone of our bone, he, he possessed something you and I don't possess. What is it? He's the eternal God, co-equal and co-eternal with the Father. And because he injects this idea of immutability and eternality to the Lord Jesus Christ in his divine person, 
That's what makes him a fit and proper object of our faith in executing all the duties of his office. If this, his priesthood is not an eternal priesthood, we need somebody else to keep doing the work. But our Lord Jesus Christ is finished to work. Now, I know there's some people, they, they say and they make some foolish arguments, but they argue that his incarnation was a change. <clears throat> and therefore, it proves that he, he's not the same yesterday, today, and forever. But you've got to keep this in mind. Immutability was not attributed to his humanity. Because he grew, did he not? He was, he was born a baby. His humanity. He grew to be a man, did he not? I'd, I'd say there's some change in his humanity. He hungered. He thirsted. He grew weary. Isn't that change? In his humanity. But as Jesus Christ, the eternal God, the everlasting Father, remember when the, the woman at the well, he met the woman at the well in Samaria? And the disciples had gone away to gather victuals, food to feed him. And he had this interaction with this woman and he came back and they told him, Lord, take meat. And he said, I'm not hungry. And they thought, their thought was what? Somebody's fed him. But he looked at him and he said, I have meat to eat that you don't, you've got no concept of. Why? He was talking as the eternal son of God. The Lord Jesus Christ. See, his actual incarnation was just one of the duties that was vital to the execution of his, his office. We, 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 we read it every time we take the Lord's table. Every time we take the Lord's table. It says this, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, and our Lord Jesus Christ did come into the world. The, the humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ was created in the womb of the Virgin Mary. When he came into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not. In other words, you didn't take pleasure in them. But a, a body as I have prepared me. Why? Why did he prepare my body? Because a priest has to have something to offer. What that whole chapter was about, that they have to have something to offer. The priest under the Old Testament offered things that could never take away sin. But what did he offer? A body prepared for him by his Father. And see, his immutability is one of the foundations of our salvation. Malachi put it like this, For I, the Lord, I change not. Therefore you sons of Jacob are not consumed. That word Lord's Jehovah, the Lord who saves, or the Lord is salvation. Sons of Jacob, what's that talking about? That's sinners who are void of a righteousness that answers the demands of God's law and justice and can't produce it. And it, 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 it would be absolutely impossible for sinners to be saved if salvation was conditioned in any way, to any degree, at any time on the sinner. God has made a promise to save sinners conditioned on Christ, His blood and His righteousness alone. Therefore, he sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, into this world to fulfill all those conditions by satisfying law and justice for his people and establishing an everlasting righteousness of infinite value based upon which God could be both just and justifier of the ungodly. 
You think about this. God has always been and he'll always be faithful to save sinners through Christ based on Christ's righteousness alone without the deeds of the law. The Lord Jesus Christ has always been and he'll always be the Savior and Lord through which sinners come to God and expect salvation. And throughout eternity, all God's people, past, present, and future, what's going to be their song? Worthy is the Lamb that was slain. Now let's think about these things real quick. He was the same yesterday. This is their hope. These that had taught them and had now been either put to death or had died natural deaths that had taught them the gospel. He said of this person whom they worshipped and served, he was the same yesterday. Sinners have always been commanded to believe God's promise of salvation conditioned on Christ's love from the beginning. Right? The same Christ who's the Lord our righteousness was the same for Abraham and for Moses under the law. Moses' hope was not in the law. Moses' hope, we know from Hebrews 11, Moses lived how? The just shall live by faith. Abraham, our Lord said, Abraham, your father longed to see my day. And he saw it, and he was glad. Why? He saw righteousness established. Christ was all David's salvation. You don't believe that? Read his deathbed confession on second, in 2 second Samuel chapter 23, verse 5. And he was Jeremiah's righteousness. This is the name wherewith he shall be called Jehovah Sitkanu, Jeremiah 23, 6. Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. He repeats it again, Jeremiah 33, 16. This is the name wherewith she shall be called, the church. What do we call the same thing as our Lord? Jehovah Sitkanu, the Lord our righteousness. So the whole old covenant, everything that he's talked about that's been done away by way of perfect fulfillment was given to show two things. First of all, that old covenant was given to show us the impossibility. Now listen to this. The whole old covenant, everything contained in the law, that whole thing was given to show sinners the impossibility of being saved based on the sinner's character and conduct. I always think about National Israel. When Moses had gone up on that mountain to get the law, what did they do? Huh? They, they, had, they had heard the thunder and lightning. They had saw the quaking of the earth. They had heard the warning from God. They saw Moses go up. And while he lingered in the mountain, what did they do? They built a golden calf and began to party and play and dance around the calf. So what does that law show of everybody down in that camp. What did they all, every one of them, elect and non-elect, what did they all deserve? Would God have been unjust if he had just destroyed them all right then? Not a bit. But he wouldn't do so because in that group of rebels down there, who was there? His chosen people. Here's the second thing. The certainty of salvation to any sinner comes pleading the righteousness God promised through the person and work of the promised Messiah. Here's the second part of that phrase. He's the same today. That's to you and me. 
One thing I know for certain, I, I've, I've had the privilege of knowing this gospel and preaching this gospel for almost 37 years. And a lot of things have changed in my life over time. Changed the way I say a lot of things. But one thing has never changed. My hope. When the Lord first revealed himself to me, when I first heard that message from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 through 21, do you really want to know the gospel? My hope was in a righteousness I had no part producing, no part maintaining, a righteousness produced for me in my name and in my nature based on Christ's accomplished work at Calvary as my surety and substitute. 37 years later, with all the flaws and sins and failures in my life coming up short in so many areas, my hope is still the same. Sing the same song now with the same joy of heart. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, period. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, and I don't even find that in me, the sweetest frame. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on his Jesus' name. The God, what am I saying? The gospel is the same. And the command of the gospel is the same. Even though the church in my day or what the considered the Christian church today has changed and forgotten the true Christ and they do not abide in the doctrines of Christ, Christ hasn't changed. He has not. Sinners are still commanded to do what? Rest in Christ, His blood, and His righteousness and to reject every other false hope of salvation. Here's the third thing. He's the same tomorrow. Turn over to Revelation chapter 5. When you and I who believe this gospel leave this world and when this world is ended, the song of the redeemed will remain the same forever. Look at Revelation 5. Look at verse 12. Right, let's back up and read verse 11. Ah, let's back up and read verse 9. Let's start verse 9. You've got to get all this together. That, verse 8. <laughs> and when he had taken the book, the four beasts and four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us king, made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. And I beheld, and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne, and the Beast and the elders and the number of them were 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. And what's the song? Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard Heard I saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. The four and twenty elders 
fell down and worshipped him that liveth forever. You think about Christ's priesthood. We've already seen this in studying the book of Hebrews. It's an unchangeable priesthood. It's a priesthood not after the order of Aaron, but a priesthood after the order of Melchizedek that continues forever. His finished work, his righteousness is effectual for how long? Forever. God's faithfulness. God's faithfulness, what is it? It's forever. I think it's, there's two verses that come to my mind when I think about it. One of them's in Lamentations chapter 3, I think. Find lamentation right after Jeremiah. Isn't it? Verse twenty-two, Lamentations three, verse twenty-two, twenty-three. It is the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. You know, that, that gives you and I, as sinners, more than an adequate reason to enter into a covenant agreement with our God by believing his promise of salvation condition on the Lord Jesus Christ alone. And it gives every believer a more than adequate reason to continue to be steadfast in the faith and to have our hearts established with grace. You think about that. The most important thing that you and I can do is have confidence in our God that he's faithful to do what he promised he'll do. And the only way we can have that confidence, and this is the tragic thing about it for you and me, what brings out our confidence is the trials and tribulations through which he puts us. I'm not saying we sin in order to get confidence, but I tell you, what, when we do sin, you always keep this in mind. I, this is the only way a, a, a person who's justified by God's grace, saved by Christ's righteousness alone, can ever have peace at night with themselves. My little children, these things right unto you, don't sin. Don't sin. But if you do sin, Literally, when you do sin, what have we got? We have an advocate with the Father. Who's our advocate? Who pleads our case? Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Jesus Christ. And it's in capital, I think, the righteous. Jesus Christ, the righteous. We'll stop right there and we'll come back. Pick up verse 9 next week. You're dismissed the worship. I appreciate your presence.